What's going on everyone? Uh, this is Mason and gonna be doing this without Colin. Uh, he got real busy lately and was gonna do this uh, Friday night but I needed to get home and spend some time with with the family. But uh, so we have been quite busy out in the woods also um, we had a couple encounters with some really nice bucks quite a few does um, wasn't able to get any of the tags filled or anything just because either they weren't close enough or never really could get a good shot off of them but uh, two Fridays ago had a real nice eight-pointer come in and shot right over his back once again, I thought it was my bow, but sure wasn't. It was all me because when I got home, checked everything out and couldn't, couldn't believe it. It was all me. I mean, every one of my shots was dead on and yeah, just couldn't get the shots off. Um, but I should get going on letting you know we had a guest come on the show um is josh q from what makes us fire what makes us fire and we had a pretty good conversation about hunting the outdoors uh what his podcast is all about where he's from where he hunts and it's quite a good uh interview and had having him on the show had a little bit of difficulties technical difficulties just because uh, i was using my phone didn't realize couldn't record on that. Also, we don't have any recording studio type stuff or anything. I mean, we're just doing this all on our on the fly and trying to get things figured out, set up to have our show a little bit better and a little bit quality. But uh, hey, I mean, give us a break. Uh, both him and I are working. We have families. We hunt. So family and hunting come first and then the show comes pretty much second. I mean, it is what it is, but we are trying to make it better. Um, just give us a little bit of time, but, uh, but yeah, we should get, uh, going and having him on the show. So thanks. Stop getting all the equipment because, well, uh, yeah, right now my wife was on, um, furlough for, with her job uh. and then Colin's wife he she works at the school well they're almost to the point of just doing everything virtual on their end so she her everyone's kind of pay is getting kind of cut uh yeah <laughs> yeah <it laughs> freaking sucks yeah um I'm re I'm recording now man so whenever you're ready okay. I don't know how you do your intro I don't know anything so but we're recording yeah. now however you yeah want. we're we're probably uh, just gonna wing it uh so my <laughs> question is <laughs> my first question is uh where can any everyone find you and uh what your name is and just introduce yourself okay do you record an intro for your show no, 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 not right now. Not right now. No. Uh, can I do your intro for you? Yeah, sure. All right. Hey, everybody. My name is Josh. I'm the host of What Makes Us Fire. And I am actually not hosting the show today. I'm actually a guest <laughs> on the Last Generation Outdoors podcast. 
And I cannot be thankful enough. And I appreciate you having me on, brother. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> um, you were asking where people can find me. Uh, they can actually find me a lot of different places uh, because I'm very shameless in self-promotion. I am mm -hmm. on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, Snapchat, and Instagram. And you can find me on all those platforms with the tag at what makes us fire all one word. Uh, you could also find me on YouTube with two words. What makes us fire is one word space podcast, and you can subscribe there and watch there. And yeah, you could also find the show on iHeartRadio, Apple podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Buzzsprout. If you follow any one of the social media sites, there is a link in the bio of all those social media sites where you can, if you click on that, it'll take you to all the other social media sites and it'll take you to all the broadcast platforms that the show is on. So right. that's it. All right. Told you, all man. Right. Shameless. Shameless. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're trying to still get everything uh, set up on other sites and everything too also, uh, but yeah it's because, a pain in the ass yeah yeah it um especially when we have uh toddlers running around so we don't have very much time to do any of that dude <laughs> i love I, I have been saying this a lot lately i love kids i love my kids yeah. i will do anything for them they are my world you better not fuck with them but yeah. they fucking ruin everything yeah. <laughs> they yeah. ruin everything yeah. they're my life <laughs> I love them yep. to death. I'll give anything, but they ruin fucking everything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, right now we're, uh, my little one, he's only two and we actually had to start. Oh, no. Yeah. He's, we actually had to start, uh, taking him to speech therapy because he wouldn't, he would not say any words at all. But uh, now it's, he's repeating everything. <laughs> so <laughs> do, do I need to watch my language? Is that what you're telling me? No, no, okay. no, okay. no. He, he ain't going to listen to this because He's not really kind of a screen kind of person. So anything that shows up on the phone, he could care less. Give a crap about. Okay, yeah. That's good. That's good. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, and Collins, other end, yeah, he has two of them. He has a five year old uh -huh. and a so, two year old. So he messed up twice, is what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but he actually, I mean, they're great kids and everything. Mm -hmm. My kid is just awesome. I love them. But right now, there's just sometimes where it's like, I really wish I had a little bit more time in the day to get my stuff done. <laughs> you know what? You know what's great? Yeah. Chloroform. Oh, chloroform. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. My, I had a co coworker at work. He uh, showed me a, um, it's kind of a joke video on YouTube. Yeah. And, the, uh, the be quiet spray. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I never laughed so hard. I wish that was real. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> but uh um so uh what's your podcast about? Just to let everybody know. Oh yeah. I, I told everybody where they can find me and they're like, oh that's great. <laughs> what the hell am I gonna listen to? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so what makes us fire is really give me a second, I gotta try to yep. sound normal again. I just put a pinch in. Yep. Uh, what makes us fire is a podcast to put out the idea, actually, in my opinion, the fact that 
all civil service personnel, mm-hmm. firefighters, police, EMTs, nurses, doctors, cops, all of the above. I probably mm-hmm. said cops twice, but yeah. that's because people forget about them very easily. Yeah. <laughs> but I wanted to put the idea out there and the fact that we are human beings first mm-hmm. and that the people in our lives make a sacrifice just as much as we do mm-hmm. that we are not superhuman we are not above the rest yes it does take a little bit of crazy to do what we do mm-hmm. and you hear that in some of the stories but the idea was to show that we're all human that we're just normal people doing an abnormal job mm-hmm. that we choose to do and then get the stories of the people that support those that are in civil service so daughters sons uh, husbands wives uh, parents friends cousins anybody that's close to a civil service member mm-hmm. i want to get their story on top of that Anybody that makes a difference in a civil servant's life, Mm -hmm. because we are normal human beings, we have a whole bunch of, we're all different in the fire service. We're all different. We're not all the Mm -hmm. same. The only thing that's same about us is we're firefighters. Everything else, we have different ideas, different belief systems, different sexual orientations, different morals, different ideas about political issues, all of the above. We're just as diverse. Mm So anybody that makes a difference within a civil service member's life, it's part of the fire life because I, and the reason why I say that is I've had artists on my show mm-hmm. um, because they, they, their art made me and helped me come down to earth, relax. Mm-hmm. They made a difference in my life. And therefore I consider them part of my life, part of the fire life because they made a difference in my life. They helped me get back down to earth really you know Mm -hmm. and that's the idea of the show is to get stories from civil service personnel stories from the people that are closest to them stories from people that affect them that might not even have a civil service member in their family but they do affect civil service members in some way Mm -hmm. the the whole idea is just to show that we're human beings and we're human beings first and we're not superhuman if we make a mistake it's a mistake just like anybody else makes a mistake Mm. so that's what the show is about okay yeah yeah because uh actually to tell you something i was thinking about joining my town's volunteer uh fire fire crew but the only problem is is that i have to be in city limits to be in the (laughs) under their fire crew and I just live maybe a quarter of a mile just out of town. And well, you need to, you can talk to them because yeah. sometimes, sometimes if you're just wait within a mile outside mm-hmm. that limit, sometimes they'll still allow you. To okay. Do it. So just talk right. to them, talk yeah. to them because if they are, if they are volunteer department, yeah, they need volunteers. That's the reason yeah. why it's a volunteer department. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, um, when I was going through conservation classes, um, we actually had to take a, a wildfire 
training course and was uh was gonna was actually trying to get onto the crew you know just to get you know if there's a call out or uh, whatever but the problem was anytime that there was a meeting to do the testing to like carry a backpack or a water tank for a certain amount amount of length and come back in a certain amount of time <laughs> for some reason every meeting got canceled because there wasn't enough people to go and do that testing so i wasn't able to get that done at all so and that was for like the state of iowa i didn't know if there was anything for other states or well what. There, and wildland firefighting is mm -hmm. separated federally state level then you even yeah. have your municipal like cities mm -hmm. and they'll host wildland firefighting mm -hmm. uh training certifications so if you get on with the volunteer fire department and you tell them mm -hmm. hey I'm interested in wildland firefighting. They'll pay for you to go get your training. Oh, really? Yeah, more often than not. Now okay. they got to have a couple of people that are interested in going. Yeah. But usually more often than not. I know in the state of Texas that if you're a firefighter or a volunteer firefighter, there's certain mm -hmm. classes that the state will put on for free for you to get certifications. Mm -hmm. I'm not familiar with Iowa. I don't know how they do that. But the NFPA, the National Fire Protection Association or agency, it, they're the ones that come up with a lot of the um, recommendations and regulations and general rules for firefighting that most states follow. Okay. And you can look up on an NFPA, NFPA website also, sometimes they'll put out uh, free training. Uh, you know, all you got to do is sign up and sign on. It might be a webinar class, but it gets you a certification. Yep. Yeah, I have the certification. I just needed to get the testing for that backpack deal. And, oh, see, but... that's different. That's just a skills evaluation. Oh, okay. You can actually look up places in your area. Let me rephrase oh, that. Okay. In Texas, okay. in Texas, that's the way it works. I'm assuming it's similar in Iowa. But yeah. yeah, look up, you know, I, you know, uh, wildland firefighting in Iowa skills evaluation. Mm -hmm. um, I know here in the Texas area, uh, it's three miles in 45 minutes. Yeah, that's the same. Same it is uh, in Iowa, too. Yeah. And yep. that's probably it's because it's an NFPA mm -hmm. um, recommendation rule. They're, they're guidelines. Yeah. NFPA is guidelines. However, mm -hmm. However, NIOSH, the National Institute of Safety and Health, yeah. uh, they're the ones that follow NFPA standards. Standards. Oh, That's what they okay. are. Standards. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I, could, so. I couldn't think of the damn word. I'm, I've been a firefighter yeah. for fucking Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and another thing is uh, if, if you decide to have Colin on or whatever, you know, just to get a different side view of, well, uh, like, i am on your show if you yeah. decide to have your co-host on your show yeah <laughs> yeah well i mean it was just kind of an idea for you because he actually had an uncle that recently just passed away and he was a volunteer uh firefighter uh for the city of sumner and he just recently unexpectedly passed away not too long ago and uh he was pretty Sorry close to, to his uncle and um and so um, I was just saying, uh, thinking, you know, getting his side of side of view of 
being a relative to a firefighter. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I would love to have Colin on. I'm sorry he's not yeah. here with you now. And I mean, yeah. I was expecting to talk to both of you guys. And yeah. I loved I loved the idea of coming on your show and not being the host because yeah. I don't have to ask the questions. I just get yeah. to talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, well, anyway, we can figure that part out later on down the road. Um, but uh, so the, from what I've seen on your show is that you do hunt. Yes, sir. Yes, okay. sir. I okay. hunt in the Southeast Texas area. Um, the main place that I do hunt is a national forest. Yep. And it's called, I, I guess I can, yeah. Sam Houston national forest is the forest that I hunt. Okay. Um, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think the last I read was either just at or just under 300,000 acres, something like that. Oh, really? It's a, yeah, it's a really big national forest. <laughs> yeah. I've and I could be totally wrong. It could just be like 30,000, but I, I am pretty sure it's bigger. Actually, you know what? Since I have my phone. <laughs> yeah. yeah, because uh, the last time I uh, knew uh, from everybody that I've heard from say that Texas is like 1% public land and 99% private. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> finding public land is really hard yeah. um, in Texas. There are some. Okay. I was way off. Okay. I was way effing off. Oh my God. I just sound like a complete idiot. So <laughs> half that. It's okay. 106 it's 163,000 acres. Oh, okay. Yeah. So <laughs> it's still fairly large. Yeah. Yeah, a lot bigger than what we have around here. Yeah. It's one of the largest public land hunting areas in Texas. Okay. But, so they have pretty much almost, almost uh, anything and everything there from what Actually I no. Um not really every now and then you'll see a random animal that just mm -hmm. because so the sam houston national forest literally yep. right at huntsville it it's like just at the south end of the piney woods okay. so that's that if you go a little bit more north from there the piney woods start get a little bit thicker mm. you start getting a little bit more into the piney woods you'll get a little bit more um animals and stuff like that but sam houston's just just right when it starts thinning out into mm you know, a more uh, populated area with people. And, you know, the, there's a lot of pine, there's a lot of oak, um, and that, and then the underbrush is thick as shit. It's not yeah. like, it's not like going to uh, Colorado where you can be in a dense forest, but still see a hundred yards through the trees. Yeah. It's, you walk in and you better do your scouting and finding a good spot because if you want a shot, if you're using a rifle and you want a shot at least a hundred yards, mm. you're going to have to scout. You're going to okay. have to scout because yeah. a lot of it is underbrush. Okay. So, so you mentioned in the little, not too long ago that you got a couple hogs off there. Yes, sir. Uh, so, uh, the first weekend of October was opening archery okay. uh, here in, in Texas. Mm -hmm. And of, of all the hunting, um, of all the weapons you can use for hunting, uh, I do like bow hunting probably the best out of, mm -hmm. out of all, all of it. 
Uh, it's a little bit more challenging. I also enjoy public land hunting a bit more than, you know, going to a lease. Mm -hmm. um, not saying there's anything wrong with lease hunting because you still have to find a spot that's going to be good where there's some yep. traffic. But then on a lease, you can set up feeders year round yeah. if you pay. You can you can attract them a little bit easier. Yeah. Where in public land, it's a little bit more difficult in that you have to do the scouting. You have to find a game trail that's being used regu regularly. And yeah. then along that trail, you have to find a clearing that's well enough for you to get to without rubbing up against freaking everything. Yeah. Because you're going to scare them off. Yeah. And then... Um, yeah, it, to me, public land is just a little bit more challenging and almost just a little bit more fulfilling mm -hmm. in that it in that it's not as easy to find an animal. And mm -hmm. Sam Houston, there's a bunch of hogs, a bunch of hogs, and yeah. uh, they allow you to hunt hogs year round yep. at the Sam Houston. And I went opening whitetail for archery uh, first weekend of October. And <clears throat> during opening in Sam Houston, you know, every national forest has their own uh, regulations and rules on what you can harvest and what you can't. Mm -hmm. um, well, they allow you to take uh, two antler if you're lucky enough and uh, antlerless if you're lucky enough. Yeah. Uh, but during general season, they do a lottery, they do a draw and they only do so many. And during general season, if you don't get lucky enough to get picked for that draw, you're only, you, you can only get a spike or an antler. That's it. And the, wow. the spread has to be at least 13 inches on the inside. And mm -hmm. if you, if you shoot a spike, it, it better be a freaking spike. There better not be any type of time coming off that spike, because if there is, you better report it and say, Hey man, I fucked up. I'm sorry. Yeah. You know, but. Yeah. During general season, you're way more limited. Mm. Um, and Sam Houston's so big. And then the area with it being one of the largest national forests to hunt in mm -hmm. it, you get a lot of what I call the weekend warrior hunters, mm -hmm. the guys that fucking trash the campsite, the guys that throw their trash and just leave it out there while they're yeah. hunting the guys that are smoking cigars while you're trying to walk to your spot uh, but i mean that's what it is but i yeah. did shoot two hogs so we yeah. I, I went scouting about a month earlier and i put up a trail cam and the trail cam had a lot of movement like a lot mm -hmm. of movement uh, there was a lot of doe which was good because during archery mm -hmm. i can get an antlerless great awesome there's mm -hmm. a lot of doe there's a, a buck that was very questionable couldn't tell really he never gave me a good shot to tell whether or not on the game camera yeah. whether or not he was going to be uh legal to harvest or not uh, but i was excited because he showed up you know several different days throughout mm -hmm. that month that i had the camera out there and while i was sitting in my spot uh opening day uh a, a couple of pigs came in mm -hmm. awesome took a shot at one hit it um and it took off i was like ah mm -hmm. oh, damn it you know i sat in my sat for about 30 minutes or so texted my buddies i was out there with i was like hey 
just shot a pig. He's like, awesome. I'll head to the clearing because we have this meetup spot. I'll head to the clearing. Let's let's try to track it. All right, cool. I get down. I, I find my arrow. No blood, just bile. I was like, damn it. Damn it. I hit behind. I hit nothing but fucking guts. It smelled yeah. nasty. The arrow smelled nasty. Very, very little blood, mostly bile. I was like, damn, that's going to be hard to track. I was like, well, whatever. I'm going to go to the clearing. I sit down on my ass in the clearing. It's, a, it's on this pipeline. That's a clearing, underground pipeline. Mm-hmm. And I'm waiting for him. While I'm waiting for him, I hear some noise behind me about 30, 40 yards behind me. And I'm thinking it's him. I was like, oh, he probably took a different way out. I'm expecting him to come out from in front of me. Well, I look behind me. It's the same group of fucking hogs that came through the first time, minus the one I shot. And I was just like, oh, here's my chance to shoot another one. (laughs) But I'm sitting on my ass, sitting on my ass, don't have an arrow knocked. I'm not ready to go at all. So I grab my bow, take an arrow out of the quiver, knock it. And I do all this without turning around. So I have no idea if they're still there. I stand up and I turn around. When I turn around, one of the little piglets looks up straight at me and I'm like, shit, shit, shit. <laughs> and then it goes back to rooting around with the rest of them. I was like, hell yeah. So mm-hmm. I draw back, look for the biggest one, put my 40 yard mark, let it go perfect right behind the shoulder it actually went through the back shoulder the arrow went through the back shoulder Mm -hmm. and uh my buddy who was on the way out heard the shot heard me hit and he was pissed off because he didn't have an arrow knocked and ready to go Mm -hmm. because he was hoping like he can get one of the piglets that ran off or something and he was pissed and he goes i just heard that second shot <laughs> yeah and so we tracked it. it took us about an hour to find even though mm-hmm. it was only like 50 yards away because the underbrush sucks yeah um but we found her and quartered her and made some pretty good ham hock soup the next day it was really good yeah yeah, yeah. we didn't find the we didn't find the first one needless to say but the coyotes got a free meal yeah yeah definitely um yeah, because I, I've always wanted to go down like to Texas or Oklahoma and go hog hunting down there. Uh, actually, one of my plans was uh, to go meet up with one of my cousins that actually moved down to Texas. They're living on the like, suburbs of Dallas mm-hmm. and go visit them and then possibly go find a place or whatever to go do well, a little if, bit of hog hunting. If they're in the suburbs of Dallas, they're only like mm, two and a half, three hours away from the Sam Houston National Forest, depending oh, really? on depending on what part of Dallas. But they're on the northern part of Dallas, it's probably going to be more like three, three and a half hours. But yeah. if they're in the suburbs of the southern part of Dallas, yeah, it's only like a two and a half hour drive. Oh, that ain't bad. Yeah, I don't know where they're at, actually, to tell you the truth. But <laughs> yeah, they're, they live down there. Um, but another question is, uh, what kind of what kind of bow and equipment do you shoot? So I use a uh, bear archery uh, bow yeah. uh, and it's the approach line that they have built. Okay. Uh, I got a really good deal on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I got the bow. I got, uh, I think it was 12 arrows, a case, the quiver, the rest and uh, a trophy ridge, um, uh, trophy ridge, five pin sight 
but yep. one of those React sites. So oh, oh, yeah. One, yep. once you set in the 20 yard pin or whatever you want your first yard pin is, once yep. you set that, the React, you know, already calculates all the other pins for yeah. you. And it's actually pretty fucking spot on. So really, really, yeah. because I, I've never, I've always wanted to get one of those, but I have one of those cheapos that buy pins. So you got to set each pin. Yeah. No, that, yeah. that React Pro works really, really well. What I have wanted to try and what I've seen is the holographic sites that they have. Mm -hmm. So what it is, it, it's the same casing, just like you would for a single yep. pin site, right? But there's a laser on it. Yep. And whenever you, you know, you sight in, you pull back, you hit that laser, the laser automatically ranges for you. And then the holographic site that pops up yep. is the site you need for that range. Wow. I, never, yeah. I haven't seen one of those yet. Yeah. They're expensive <laughs> as hell. They're like anywhere between three to $600. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. But, <laughs> but it's awesome because now you don't have to do anything with any Allen wrenches, nothing. Mm -hmm. You just set it up. You do have to calibrate your 20 yard, right? Yeah. Or whatever the shortest yardage you want is. You have to calibrate mm -hmm. that. But after that, it, it, it does all the measurements for you. Mm -hmm. So my bow is set up with, um, it was supposed to be 75, but it's probably more around 71, 72 pound mm -hmm. draw, but it has an 80% let off. Mm -hmm. So I can hold back, I can hold draw forever. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, as soon as I get, I can hold it forever. Mm -hmm. And then uh, release is about anywhere, depending on the wind, about, anywhere between 312 to 320 fps feet per second oh, okay. with the arrow i use a 350 spine and i like using fixed broadheads yeah i don't like the mechanical broadheads i just i know it's very rare that they don't mm -hmm. deploy upon impact but it would i just i just know murphy's law it would be my luck i'd take the shot and the hole I make in the animal would be the size of the fucking arrow because it didn't yeah. deploy and, and I would be tracking something for hours and I just didn't want to run the risk. So mm -hmm. and I use a hundred grain tip as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, for my broadheads, because we always had that debate with, well, with my friend and everything, I've always liked uh, mechanic, uh, not mechanical fixed broadheads, mm -hmm. but I usually just shoot kind of the uh, mechanicals just because I kind of want that bigger uh, hole and, uh, so I use a, quite a bit of um, the rocket broadhead line because all that's holding those blades down is like a little small rubber band. And once mm -hmm. it hits, they're loose and they're wide open. So I've, we've always had pretty good luck with that, with those. Um, but I'm kind of still of a fixed, fixed blade broadhead kind of guy. I am as well. I, I, and I don't like if, if – I haven't tried shooting the inch and a half diameter mm -hmm. fixed. Uh, I just have a feeling with the way I shoot, if I did use an inch and a half diameter, because I use an inch, inch diameter. Yeah. Uh, I just have a feeling if I used an inch and a half, it's going to change my flight path and I'm going to have to recalibrate oh, all my yep. sights and everything else. Um, and I don't, I, I try not to practice as much with the broadheads on. Mm -hmm. um because every time you shoot them and every even if they're hitting foam 
or you know a, a styrofoam block you're still every time they hit and have to cut you're 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 using that blade and so you, mm-hmm. even if it's foam you're still doling it down even yeah. just i know it's just a little bit and there's going to be hunters out there that'll be like no you should practice with the broadhead on and, and i get that you should mm-hmm but I try not to do it as much. So I use mm-hmm. hundred grain field tips to side in. And then with the one inch diameter fixed blades, I yep. use uh Mozu. I think it's Mozu. Oh, Is it Mozu? Yep. Mozu fixed blades. And uh, they're just the uh, three fixed blades, you know, three triangle, mm-hmm. three blades. And it, they've worked very well for me. Yeah. Yeah. We, we've shot Muzzy and we shot those G5 Montex and, We've never really had much of a problem with them. Yeah, we had to recalibrate everything in, and um, that was way back when, but we kind of still kind of stuck with our rocket broadheads just because we've never really had that much problems with them. What kind of bow do you guys use? um, Colin actually um, went with an Expedition. Um, he was having problems with his, uh, brand new Hoyt that he bought and oh, something really? with the, yeah, something with the cams were rubbing on like the ser- servings of the cables mm-hmm. and creating, uh, like fraying them Well, they, the dealer called them and they, um, they, they, what they said was that, uh, well, it's just the way it was designed. There's nothing we can do about it. So what? then, yeah, yeah. And horrible customer service. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And why the hell are you selling a bow that's going to fray your line? That is the most retarded thing ever. Yeah, exactly. And he went to two different bow shops to see what they could do for him. And they said, yeah, with this design, they, they even questioned why Hoyt went, went this route. And it was kind of the top line bow and everything else. And so what he did is that he just went and traded it in for an expedition um, because that's what the guy was is dealing for dealing with. And also that bow shop's actually uh, right here in Iowa in Decorah. Mm-hmm. And uh, they make all the bows there in Decorah. So I have a Hoyt, Hoyt bow, but it's the older... I, I want to say it was like made in 2017. It's the Nitrum Turbo. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm thinking about getting rid of that one and going with the Expedition just because Expedition's made in Iowa. So we're kind of trying to keep our business here into the state. Um, just it's a small business too. Yeah. Yeah. So yes. that's what we're, that's what I'm thinking about doing. So are they, I, are, are they affordable? Oh yeah. They're affordable. For what they are. Yeah, they're, I think Tyson Trunkhill, he's the owner of Sticks and Stones Archery, and he said last year's 2019 models are around 600 bucks. Oh, wow. So yeah, that's not, not bad at all. No, they're not bad at all. And I believe, he hasn't told me what this year's models are. So I'm thinking that maybe after this year, the 2020 bows are going to go down in price and then the newer ones are going to come out when they release them for in january i believe i, I don't know if i'm going to want to buy anything 2020 <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> 2020 is not not a very good year for anyone i mean especially anyone. if around here and i mean 
even the schools are going to go starting to go virtual, even though that uh, they were saying we're we're not going to have any problems with that. Well, yeah, well that's changed. <laughs> so, and yeah, uh, there was a big fear. I, I I was reading online forums and stuff with hunting, especially when it got closer. There was a big fear with the camping sites at the national yeah. forest if they were going to even allow you to go camp be in the camping area or really? if you're going to have to literally drive from your house or a hotel you know because they wouldn't allow you to camp they it was the whole social distancing thing yeah like there is a point in time where they closed down the you know the the open area camping not just hmm. like the RV spot they have where they, where it's really nice. They have showers and everything, but like, no, like the open area camping sections where they just cleared out a piece of land and said, Hey, throw up a tent. You can camp here if you want. They're yeah. thinking they, they, they closed those down for a certain period of time. Like they didn't want anybody close to anybody. Really? And yeah. And so there was a little bit of a, a concern that once the season came around, it was like, well, what do we need to start planning for? come hunting trip season you know do we need yeah. do we need to start looking at hotels that are close do i need to start working on my sleep schedule so i can wake up an hour earlier than i usually do like yeah it, it was a pain in the ass but thank god our our governor was like you know what it it's outside you know let, yeah. let them let them do what they want you know hunters are hunters they're gonna go hunting yeah it's a camping they're outside uv mm -hmm. light kills the fucking virus so yeah. you know what i mean yeah yeah exactly our governor all well our a lot of people are not really happy with her but at least she's trying to keep things open mm -hmm. and because she did shut down all the state parks and all the county parks for camping and everything until she got more information about the virus and yeah, then I, once they announced that uv light does kill the virus then she opened them right back up yeah and i think that 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 was a general rule for most states yeah is shutting down national forests national parks and stuff mm -hmm. like that anything that was state owned was shut down for a yeah. period of time until they figured out what the hell was going on but it was a concern for hunters because yeah. you know okay We've been shut down for three or four months. Fuck hunting seasons in the next month and a half. Everybody's prepping. Everybody's starting to prep, you know, and we're all like, okay, so what should we be prepping for? What, yeah. what do we need to start thinking about? Mm -hmm. Not necessarily because we are going to go hunting. It's going to happen. But, mm -hmm. you know, like the whole camping aspect of it, the whole being out there, are, are we going to get fined for having our tents too close to each other? Yeah. Kind kind of bull crap, but yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it was definitely something that me and the guys that, that I go hunting with every year, we mm. were talking about for a minute. And then once it, once the whole idea was scrapped uh, mm. legally, uh, Mickey wouldn't get in trouble. We were, we were like, all right, cool. Same old, same old. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. If for here, we never really had that issue. Right now, the, uh, our state, well, the people of the state are just trying to figure out what Reynolds is doing with all this CARES Act money, mm -hmm. and which for me, I could care less. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I was like, who cares? I got my own crap to worry about, but, you know, whatever. But um, do you do any fishing around there? Or? 
Uh, yeah. So I live right on the bay in Galveston yep. area. Okay. Uh, oh so- my God. My wife would actually go nuts. If she, <laughs> she actually loves, she actually has been to Galveston mm-hmm. and she's always wanted to go to Corpus Christi because of uh, who is that famous singer? George Strait. No. Uh, but she was uh Latina, like uh, Mexican. Selena. Yeah, Selena Quintanilla. Yeah, yeah, Selena, man. Yeah, that's uh Selena's home hometown, man. Yeah, she's yeah, always her... wanted. She wants to go down there so bad. The so the bad. studio uh, that her family owns, her father and her family own, where they recorded all the music and everything. They do yeah. uh, tours there. They have the statue along the seawall, Selena there. They do uh, the Fiesta de la Flor in April, uh, okay. where it, where they have it, it's basically just a big party to celebrate Selena's life and the difference mm-hmm. she made in the music industry mm-hmm. with her kind of music. She was like one of the first. Her and Gloria Stefan were kind of like the same, where they were bridging the gap between mm-hmm. Latin music and uh, Latin English music. They're bridging that gap. Uh, yeah, and and they made a huge difference in mm-hmm. the music industry with it. Um, and so the Fiesta de Flores kind of to celebrate uh, Selena and that movement. Yeah. She, she wants to go down there and check that out because she actually loves Selena. She actually has the movie Selena and mm-hmm. any chance Anything she gets to watch for it. Selena. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but she's been to Galveston, but I didn't know that you were actually you know, live in Galveston. Is that what yeah, you said? Yeah, I, I live, I actually live in Galveston County. Okay. In oh, the Galveston okay. County area. So uh, the actual island of Galveston is literally only 15, 20 minutes away from me. 15, 20 minutes. Oh, drive. okay. So, okay. Well, what kind of fishing do you do there? Uh, so when I do go fishing, I, I got to be honest, I don't fish a lot. Um, mm-hmm. Not, uh, I, I just, I just don't, I don't fish a lot. Yeah. But when I do go, I do it with my buddy and, he we like to use the kayaks because there's a lot of flats out there that we can yep. get some redfish redfish is really good um and flounder is actually really good and of course trout um mm-hmm. every now and then we we catch it there's a there is a bunch of catfish and hardhead out there really um, yeah a bunch a bunch <laughs> um and but you know the redfish out here and stuff like that you do have mm-hmm. to have a tag for and everything okay. uh yeah and stuff like that but trout um is everywhere mm-hmm. uh flounder i i've gone flounder gigging because that's okay. fun uh there's a city here called texas city mm-hmm. and they have dikes out there and if anybody said hey i'm gonna go to texas city dikes it was oh, okay you're gonna go fishing you're gonna go find yeah. gigging. uh <laughs> just put on some waders and let's go gigging for you know a few hours tonight or whatever uh the mm-hmm. flounder is really good you got to be careful kind of where you're at because we do have a lot of uh, oil refineries in the area mm-hmm. and they're all situated right at the mouth of where, um, you know, the ship channel runs through Galveston. And so you get a lot of that kind of movement from all the tankers and everything coming in and out. Mm-hmm. But you can, you, if you have a, a nice boat, you can go out into the bay and you can actually do some pretty good deep water fishing as well. Oh, okay. All right. I've never been out to anywhere to go uh, ocean fishing <laughs> at all. Yeah, <laughs> so um, I want uh, to, but. 
Yeah, there's a lot of places uh, when you get a little bit further inland from the island, you know, you got there's some places where there's a little bit more brackish water, mm-hmm. obviously. Um, but, you know, if, as soon as you pass that channel, you, you, it's everything's everything's open. It's everything's free oh, game. OK. Yeah. All right. So um, what size uh, have you gotten any big bucks, you know, in your past or so? I have been an avid hunter for the past five, six years, five years, okay. six years. That's when I really started really getting into it. Um, I had hunted before, but just, it was just not, it wasn't something that I really got into. It wasn't until about five years ago or so. Um, my best friend in the world, uh, Chris, if you're listening, brother, I love you. Uh, mm-hmm. He got back from uh, being in the Navy you know, he, he okay. finished his time. He came back. It was finally, Hey, we can finally all start hanging out again. And he got, he said, Hey, we're going to go archery hunting. And I was like, well, I don't have a bow. And he goes, you can borrow my old one. And I got hooked. I, I got yeah. hooked. You want to talk about hook like and sneaker? I got hooked. <laughs> and, uh, <clears throat> from that point on, I just, I, I just fell in love with hunting uh, my first year hunting, I came away with nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, my second year hunting came away with nothing. Mm-hmm. My third year hunting, uh, about two years ago, we went up to a wildlife wildlife management area. It is a national. It's considered a national forage. So it's WMD, a wildlife management district, but they allow okay. you to hunt. But you can only archery hunt. You yep. can only archery hunt in this area uh, because it's it's a small acreage. I think it was like maybe uh, it's it's small. It's like two thousand acres, something like that. Um, and it's in Angelina County. It's the Angelina National Forest, so what they call it. Mm-hmm. And I remember it was opening day, literally opening light, mm-hmm. and I was up in my stand and like two doe literally came in i took a shot I, we were we were literally in maybe 15 30 minutes into you know legal shooting time yeah took the shot i i got my harvest and the guys are all pissed off because <laughs> you know i when when i when i went out there i mm-hmm. i took what steve rinella says and if you know who steve rinella is yep. he's the host of the meat eater podcast yep. and he has the netflix show meat eater mm-hmm. uh he has this saying that you know never let something go that you would be happy to take on the last day yep exactly. on the first day if you see something on the first day that you would be happy to take on the last day go mm-hmm. ahead and take a shot you know mm-hmm. yes it might it might mean that the rest of your trip, you're just out there helping your boys or just enjoying being out there. Mm-hmm. But, but, you know, at least you got something and mm-hmm. you didn't hope or gamble on seeing something later yeah. on. Yeah. And so that I just kept that mindset. I saw the dough it was a good sized dough, took the shot, perfect shot. You know, she literally fell right where I shot her. She mm-hmm. hit shot she she let out a couple of bleats and she was done yeah and it was awesome i, I mean yeah. i was just i was blessed yeah yeah definitely because that's something that we're we're trying to push because uh 
we get up around here, we have such the mentality of let them all go until they get bigger. And there's been so many times where I've seen people go years without anything just because they're trying to get that 150s, the 200 inch buck. Mm-hmm. And I even had, I even know somebody personally. I'm not going to mention who he is, but he's always telling me, well, I buy the dough tags just because so nobody else can fill that dough tag. So he buys like a bunch of dough tags. And then just because he believes that there isn't enough deer around here. And I'm like, it's Iowa. And it's like everywhere you go, they're like rabbits around here. <laughs> yeah. But well- he, that's not to mention southeast texas does not have large deer we are a very very warm weather climate down here Mm -hmm. so the deer around here don't they don't eat like they need to up in iowa where it gets a lot colder yeah Uh, down here it's warm a lot longer into the season Mm -hmm. and so i mean a big a big buck might be a 100 or 150 that, that that's a big buck you know yeah. here in southeast texas where if you go to like iowa or colorado or mm-hmm. somewhere a little bit more more north um mm-hmm. where it gets colder you're gonna have those 200 300 point bucks and you're like oh mm-hmm. wow you know that's yeah. a huge, huge buck down yeah. here they're rare unless unless you get on a lease where the buck and the deer know that food's always going to be there you know either that that or they have a feed plot where the deer year-round know where to go to eat and they it's just a constant source in the national forest they don't have that uh food they have to just like in the wild and so Mm -hmm. if they don't need to because they're not being fed if they don't need to eat or they don't need to get out and eat or get ready for the winter weather they don't Mm -hmm. because it's warm they yeah, don't have yeah. to bulk up for the winter down here. Yeah. So they're just they're just not bigger because of the environment that they're in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but south, unless you're on a lease, uh, national yeah. forest deer, uh, uh, you know, wild deer uh, mm-hmm. that are not on a lease tend to be smaller here in yeah. southeast Texas. So yeah. if you saw if you saw a good eight point and it had a good 13 inch spread, even a six point, as long as it has a 13 inch spread on the inside, they're going to, the the hunters are going to take the shot. Even, even though the, the trophy on the wall might not look spectacular. Mm -hmm. uh, It's because that's actually a pretty good sized deer for Southeast. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, because down, my buddy, because I always, I fell, I fell into the whole mentality of we got to wait for the big buck. Wait, got to wait for the big buck. And my buddy, Colin, he was like, you don't need to just take what you want or you see that you would like to have and just go for it. And because there was times where I'd always make fun of them for, you know, getting this little bitty, almost like basket rack skull mounted. And then he was like, I'm happy with them. And he was like, just shut up and do it uh just shut up and leave me alone about it i'm happy with them i'm gonna put them up on the wall i got and meat I was, in the fridge and because yeah, you're got, waiting for a big trophy to put on your wall you don't got yeah, any meat yeah exactly and then i kind of fell out of it because i was going on for quite a while without any kind of uh meat in the freezer or you know anything on the wall and 
I uh, kind of learned that there isn't a 150 behind every freaking tree. And right. so I kind of changed my, uh, my view on it. So I kind of agreed with him. We need to start pushing more towards the whole, if you're happy with it, you know, take it. And um, because there's starting to be less and less hunters out. I mean, you take a look at the Iowa's uh, numbers, hunting numbers, they have fallen drastically. And it's just either because they're waiting on that 150 or, and, or the price of the archery equipment or everything's getting leased up. I mean, for us around here, it is hard, hard to try and find ground that's not leased up. And anytime we go knock on the wall, uh, on the door, I mean, knock on the door, they're like, well, how much are you going to pay me? Because this is what they're paying me now. And we're like, well, we can't afford that. We can't afford a thousand dollars or 1500 for just for a season, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah. Just, I mean, and their ground's not even that big. They're like maybe 40, 50 acres for this oh, chunk wow. of ground. Yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah. And I mean, we don't, I mean, a lot of farmers around here, when they own ground, it's all chunked up. And I mean, there's maybe a 20 acres and right in the middle of this landlocked ground that somebody else owns the other 40 or the other 50 bordering it. And this chunk of ground is locked up and you have to go down this easement. And that's the only way that you can get into and people are paying a thousand dollars for it. I mean, come on. Right. <laughs> with, with your leases out there, do you find that they use low fence or high fence? Uh, actually, I wouldn't even consider it fencing because a lot of farmers are pulling out the fence. I mean, they're, they, everybody can, that the deer can go anywhere they want. If they want to go to the next County, they can go to the next County. And I mean, it might be barbed wire fencing that has been put up back in the 1960s, <laughs> 70s. And that those trees right now, right along that barbed wire fencing, they're growing up right next to the barbed wire fence and the barbed wire fence is growing right into the tree. Yeah. So yeah, nothing is fenced up around here anymore. I've noticed here in Southeast Texas, um, high fence tends to be with leases that are very large. So yeah. like if it's a hundred acres or more, mm -hmm. they'll have high fence. And of course those deer are going to be way bigger because it's just easier for them to stay within the high fenced area. Yeah. Low fence, however, is a little bit nicer in that the deer can cross them fairly easily. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's a small deterrent for them. So they can, they can get a little bit bigger, but not always, mm -hmm. not always. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because, uh, I mean, like around here, it's kind of the whole deal of like our public grounds it's either county owned or state owned. We only have two national monuments in Iowa and mm -hmm. there's effigy mounds. And then there's something for some president way back when I can't remember. And I can't remember who he is. And actually my friend is actually texting me. Sorry. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's uh, so those public grounds are a lot of them are, you know, for hunting, fishing, hiking, whatever. But those grounds are 
50 to 100, maybe 200 acres. And I mean, there, I mean, you go in there and you look at every tree, there's actually either an old tree stand in one that has been there for years. And then the next tree next to it has a brand new one. Go to the next tree, there's another stand in there and it's just tree stands galore and in those public grounds. And every time you go in there, there's people in there. I mean, it's actually kind of ridiculous. And it's like, okay, how are the numbers dropping? But we're seeing all these hunters on public ground. Well, it's just because they can't get onto lease ground lease. or, yeah. or I, I mean, just regular permission. Yeah. I, yeah, I think, I think um, when, when the States or the counties start allowing, uh, you know, this County land start being bought up and then, you have somebody trying to make a buck by, you know, uh, leasing out their lease, you know, they're, mm -hmm. they're charging for you to hunt on their lease. Well, you push out the, the hunter that, I mean, let's face it. Most hunters mm -hmm. are not rich people. Yeah. Right. It, it, it's, it's a hobby. It's a sport that we love to do. It's a mm -hmm. way for us to put some meat on the table for our families. Mm -hmm. Yep. But, there's a that's why we go out and do it because we can put meat on the table without having to go mm -hmm. to the store and spend a thousand dollars for the year of meat where we can go mm -hmm. to the public land and maybe we're only out a hundred bucks for our tags and our permits but mm -hmm. we have a chance to put some meat in the freezer that'll last us six to eight months you know yeah and when you allow the land to start being bought up by private mm -hmm. owners not all these hunters can afford that. I mean, no. we're not, most hunters are not rich people and, mm -hmm. you know, public land hunting is, is dying, unfortunately. Yep. Um, and it's dying in more ways than one. It's dying by that where mm -hmm. you have private owners coming in and buying the land from the County or the state yeah, or um, the state is actually starting to make it more difficult to obtain you know, your, your permits and the tags are becoming more expensive and it's almost a deterrent. It's like, well, do I really want to spend $300? I know I'm only going to be able to go out maybe three or four times this season. If I go out three or four times and I spend three, $400, is it going to be worth it? You know, because mm -hmm. I'm taking, that's, that's $300 crapshoot on whether or not I'm going to be able to harvest anything. Mm -hmm. And or can I use that $300 and spend it on something I know I can get? Yeah. You know, people that can afford it are going to do it, but the hunters that just can't afford that extra expenditure on top mm -hmm. of gear, on top of camping gear, yep. on top of, you know, uh, bow or rifle ammunition, mm -hmm. um, upkeep for all those things, new arrows, whatever. Mm -hmm you add all that up, it becomes pretty fucking expensive to be oh, yeah. just even a public land hunter, yeah. let alone have to spend 1500 plus get your tags. But I mean, you're, you're look at 1500 for a lease, you're looking at maybe spending at least almost $2,200. If yeah. once you get the new gear, your camping gear, if there's a log cabin that they, you know, and you got to pay extra to use it. I mean, it's just, I mean, why? I don't understand yeah. why, why people aren't seeing that they're killing public land hunting for mm -hmm. people by doing what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I know for like the state, if they have public ground and it's state owned, 
uh, it's more of a, I can't remember the word that they use for it, but they're, they use it, they save it just in case they need the money for something. And in a case of like schools or whatever, and you know, along those lines. So they'll go off, they need money. They'll sell off that public land to private mm -hmm. ownership and put it towards schools or some sort of public system. Iowa has yet to do that quite and thankfully, but I've seen states kind of like Wisconsin a few years back. I don't know if Wisconsin felt uh, went through with it, but they were talking about selling some of their private, their public ground mm -hmm. for something that the state needed. And what's weird about the Wisconsin state lands is that there is some actually you have to pay to even get into that, into that public ground. So you have to have some sort of pass to get into it. I don't know if Texas is like that or well, so but, the, the national forest, anybody can go into the national forest. Yeah. You don't need to, you don't yeah. need to pay anything. Now there are yeah. some national forests where they have somebody at the gate. It's only like a $3 fee to go in and you mm -hmm. enjoy the forest. Cause it's a national, it's a park, not a forest. It's yeah. a national park. Yep. Um, so if you hunt a national park, you do need a permit to hunt. Yep. It does cost money. Now, if you're just going to walk trails, to sightsee, to use your bike, whatever, usually it's only like that $3 for the day, or you can buy a public land permit without the hunting permit. Mm -hmm. And that's, it's real, real cheap. And it's mm -hmm. just a little tag. You put it on your car. Every time you drive up, they're like, all right, come on through. Yep. So, but all, all that money goes to land conservation yeah. and wildlife conservation. Exactly. So, yep. You know, it, it, what people I don't think really understand is that public hunting, public hunters are like, I think if the number was correct, if I remember correctly, it's like, it's a ridiculous high percent, 85 or higher percentage yeah. of the funds for your park rangers, for your mm -hmm. game wardens, for your land management, for your wildlife management, all those funds come from hunters. Yep. They come from hunters. It's like yeah. the majority of the funds to fund all of that uh, mm -hmm. uh, wildlife conservation parks, you know, yep. a, a park that's strictly for wildlife conservation. You can't hunt it or nothing. Yep. It's paid by hunters. Like mm -hmm. it, hunters fund that they yeah. can't even, in, they, they can't even hunt it. They can't yeah. even, but they're okay with spending the money because they know that wildlife conservation is a good thing, mm -hmm. you know, and we pay for the research to uh, let the states know, okay, this is how much wildlife we have. This is how many permits we're going to allow. Mm -hmm. And we, we hunters pay for that research. We, everything yeah. that involves wildlife and wildland conservation is mm -hmm. paid by hunters. Yeah. Let me rephrase that Ma a majority of all that is yeah. paid by hunters. Well, yeah. when you start allowing private owners come in and buying up that land, mm -hmm. you're actually taking a bit of cash from that wildlife yeah. conservation. Yes, they mm -hmm. still have to buy the tags. Okay. But like the public land permit that you have to mm -hmm. purchase and stuff like that, that, there's a little bit of that money that gets taken out from that. And then mm -hmm. when you when people can't afford to buy these leases, they're not going to buy the lease permit. 
because they can't even afford to get on the lease. Yeah. So you're, you're, you're taking a chunk of that wildlife management funds from the wildlife, from the wildland. And it's a double-edged sword. Like I get it. I I, I'm never going to down somebody for trying to make money. However, you know, where are your priorities? Are your priorities really concerned with hunting and what it means and what it really represents? Or are you, Mm -hmm. is your sole purpose to make a buck? Because if that's your sole purpose, then I think you're in the wrong, you're in the wrong for doing what you're doing. Yeah, exactly. But uh, in a little bit, we're, Colin and I are going to be going up into the tree stand, but I have one last question for you. Um, so what do you think, um, people need to do in order to get more people in the outdoors, whether it's fishing, hunting, hiking, boating, uh, kayaking, whatever. I mean, what do you think? I think the easiest and most effective way to get people that haven't thought about hunting, fishing, hiking, or just being in the outdoors in general I think the most effective thing that we can do to get more people out there and enjoying it and becoming a part of it is to share our experiences, Yeah, is to tell our stories, is to really, really not just, oh, yeah, I went on a hunting trip and I shot a doe, check it out. No, you, you need to be really detailed about how it made you feel. What was the process that that allowed you to get there? And then when you did succeed and you were able to harvest, how thankful were you? Um, Just sitting out there in the tree for 12 hours in a tree and you didn't see a damn animal. What did that mean to you? Well, to me, it's release. To me, it is to me, it is just. Oh, it's it's meditation, it's relaxation, mm-hmm. it's allowing myself to get out of my head, uh, mm-hmm. camping with the boys, because we don't all hunt in the same spot. But yeah. when we all meet up back at camp, telling the stories of what we saw, what we didn't see, what we're excited about maybe seeing, um, what, what shot we did or did not take. Uh, I, I posted a, a video of a damn cow yeah <laughs> like that's a cool story man i'm going yeah. hunting. I'm, I'm hunting for whitetail deer and here comes this cow out of nowhere mm-hmm. just through the national forest you know and there's been stories i think there's a story of a zebra there's a story of a donkey one time mm-hmm. um and then there was even a story of an elk and everybody was like an elk in southeast texas what <laughs> the f- what yeah and it's like you know but going out there and sharing those stories, sharing the experiences, but not, not, not just what you did, how it made you feel, how the outdoors really just made you feel more alive and mm-hmm. more at peace. And mm-hmm. the, the, the real appreciation for the outdoors and the struggle it, it, it takes you back to before you can just go to a, a grocery store and buy your meat. Now you're, you're really, you're, granted, uh, our weapons are better. Sure, our, our mm-hmm. hunting, you know, we have scent blockers. We have a whole, de- we, the, yes. But that, that's been the progression of hunting since the dawn of time, since be, when hunting became a thing. 
mm-hmm. they tried they tried sticks and stones and then they found out well if we sharpen the edge of the stick it makes it better and then they found well if i find a stick i can throw really far that makes it better and then they found that well if i put this rock on a sling and swing it i can throw it and make it hit a lot faster and it's more it it, it, it expires the animal a lot faster and a lot more mm-hmm. humanely and i think if we can explain that and just share our experiences and let people know that it's more than just a sport. It is a lifestyle and it's mm-hmm. a real respected lifestyle. We respect the outdoors and the wildlife and we respect our harvest. We respect our harvest because it gave its life for us. You don't mm-hmm. go to the grocery store, pick up a package of freaking ground meat and go, thank you, cow. I appreciate your life. Yeah and what what you were put through to put me we don't do that but when we go when we go hunting and we take a shot and we're in it and it's an ethical shot and we don't have to track it 100 yards because that sucks but even Mm -hmm. when we do we're we're so thankful for the opportunity and then we're thankful to the land and the animal Mm -hmm. for allowing us to do that and then Mm -hmm. we show it respect by harvesting as much of it as we can not wasting a thing uh you know keeping the pelt so we can make it into a leather or into a rug or keeping the the head so we can make a mount you know on the rack or you know whatever it is there's always a respect Mm -hmm. for that animal whether it be a hog now hog are nuisance but it it was still a living thing and you took Mm -hmm. it and you're eating it now you're not just killing it to kill it Mm -hmm. and I think if, like I said, sharing the experiences, I think more than just, yeah, I went hunting. Yeah. I shot something, check it out. But everything in between all those and the feelings that it made the hunter feel, I think will definitely help getting people out there searching for that experience as well, or having a completely new and different one. Mm -hmm. All right. All right. Well, thank you. And, uh, Maybe sometime we can get Colin on and next time if we decide to. And oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, we, we, <laughs> we are definitely, definitely, I got to, I got to get on the show with both of you guys next time yeah. for sure. Yeah, because then hopefully we have, we know more on how to do this thing. <laughs> no, it worked good. Uh, just yeah. like, like I said, next time a computer would be great. Yeah. And that's about it. Computer and headphones and a good internet connection, man. All right. Well, thank you. Not a problem. All right. That was Josh Q of What Makes Us Fire. Um, I do believe that we do need to tell our experiences while after we get out of the woods, after we get get done fishing, tell tell our memories and what we've experienced out in the woods um, to others that are you know curious about hunting curious about fishing or aren't even really interested in being out in the woods or being fishing or kayaking or hiking or anything like that i mean if they don't know they need to know from others what it is like so that way they do start getting curious about being out in the woods and what it all entails um, I mean, we seriously need to think about it. I mean, instead, I I wouldn't want to hear somebody go and say, yeah, I shot this doe. That's the end of the story. 
Well, I want to know what leads up to it. The preparation. The good uh, height. You know, sneaking in there. Um, what gun you used. How close did you get. Um, how many other misses of deer did you miss. And um, how many other things did you see. Did you see like a coyote run by your stand. Or you know, really anything. So let, we just need to take that into consideration when we need to start recruiting other people to become hunters, become fishermen, and advocates for the outdoors. Um, but go check out Josh Q of What Makes Us Fire. He has some awesome podcasts that he has with others um, about hunting, mainly uh, going out, you know, being firemen emt first responders stuff like that um that's mainly what his podcast is about um but yeah we seriously need to take his uh advice and everything about uh everything so um see you on the next one